Louise McSharry on 2FM. I'm sure, like many Irish people, you have been watching the news coverage of what's been going on in Afghanistan over the last number of weeks as the Taliban have taken control of the country once again. And there have been countless upsetting images and videos on TV, in the newspaper, and on social media. And I have seen the same thing over and over and over again, which is Irish people asking, how can we help? What can we do? So today I'm joined by Colm O'Gorman, who is executive. Executive Director for Amnesty International Ireland. And first of all, hello. It is so lovely to see you. Hi, Louise. It's great to see you too. Lovely to have you here in the room. Um, and I suppose before we get into what Irish people can do to help, just in case there are people who've kind of been, you know, dipping in and out, but maybe aren't completely clear on what's going on and why people are so desperate to leave Afghanistan, you might just give us a quick kind of summaration. Summization. Summation is the word. Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, Mick Jagger. Um, <laughs> let's I talk for a living, would you I know, believe? I, I don't know what's going on with me today. I mean, just a, a quick catch up to people. People, Some people may recall that there's been um, a conflict in Afghanistan. Well, I mean, there's been conflict in, in Afghanistan now going back many, many decades. But in, in 2001, the US invaded Afghanistan and overthrew the Taliban uh, uh, in response to, as they saw it, um, that regime's support for global terrorism. Now, the Taliban had been ruling Afghanistan at that stage for about five, five years from 1996 to 2001 and it was a brutal and seriously oppressive regime. Mm. Women and girls in particular faced, everybody faced very serious uh, human rights violations but women and girls in particular faced appalling violations. There were public stonings of women uh, very often, for example, because they were victims of rape or sexual assault and in, 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 instead of being treated as victims of those crimes, they were treated, they were convicted of adultery, whatever yeah. that's meant to be and stoned to death publicly. Women weren't allowed to work, women weren't allowed to leave the home without a male guardian, Uh, girls were not allowed access to education, there was really brutal suppression of women's rights and brutal suppression of everybody's rights including minorities Mm. they were uh, just incredibly viciously brutal as a regime. LGBTQ people, religious minorities and others um, experienced extraordinary persecution under the regime. They were overthrown when the US invaded um, but the US Um, under President Trump um, reached a peace accord with the Taliban and part of that accord was that they would withdraw um, from um, Afghanistan and President Biden when he was elected said that he would follow the the same path and would withdraw but then brought up the timeline so in the last month the US and other international forces have withdrawn from Afghanistan and as international forces withdrew the Taliban which has had a bit of a resurgence in recent years started to take over territories so for the last six or seven months they've been gradually taking over large sections um, of Afghanistan and it culminated just in recent weeks with the not so much the fall of Kabul but the surrender of Kabul the the Afghan government effectively left the Afghan army put down its weapons and didn't resist and um, the Taliban um, took over Kabul they've made a lot of um, They've been on a bit of a PR exercise yeah. in, in recent weeks saying that they're a softer or more moderate Taliban than the one that was there before, saying that women will have a place in uh, the new Afghanistan in line with Islamic law. Now, when they say in line with Islamic law, I presume they mean in line with Islamic law as they define it, with Sharia yeah. law as they define it, which in the past uh, was one that, that just horrifically denigrated women and women's rights. However, if we look at what's happening outside of Kabul, um, we see the old Taliban um, in practice. I mean, we had, Amnesty had colleagues, we had researchers on the ground over the last number of months. And just this week, we published um, research and evidence following our investigation of a massacre of nine Hazara, who are a, a, an ethnic uh, minority there, men um, um, who were um, either uh, executed, summarily executed, shot or, sh- or tortured to death. 
Um, and these were civilians. These were civilians who had fled their homes as the Taliban advanced and moved to what they thought might be safe spaces. Mm. And when they began to return to their homes to get food or to tend to animals, they were um, detained, tortured to death or shot to death by the Taliban. Yeah. And what they've done is they've closed down mobile um, uh, uh, net, uh, mobile phone networks, uh, the internet, other telecommunications resources across areas where they are. So this evidence is not emerging. So you get one picture in Kabul where they say we're different, we're new, we're softer. Yeah. And yet we see these kind of brutal atrocities in other parts of the country. So there's there's huge, enormous concerns yeah. for the human rights and uh, of anybody in Afghanistan, but particularly of women and girls and of marginalised groups, as I said, LGBTQ people, people who've worked for the former Afghan government, people who've worked for international humanitarian organisations, journalists, media, um, religious scholars, lawyers, they're at very, very grave risk. And we are hearing reports of um, the Taliban going door to door now to identify um, people from those groups. Um, So we're really, really concerned about what we'll follow. So, of course... This is the situation that has led to the images that we've seen of people desperately trying to leave Afghanistan. And I mean, you know, really some of the stuff we saw, I thought it was kind of very dark and kind of stark mm. to see the imagery of people clinging to airplanes and falling from airplanes. When when I thought back to seeing people falling from the Twin Towers, you know, which kind of is such a, a key part of this story. Um, uh, but I mean, really, that shows the desperation yeah. and the fear that people are living in. Yeah, I mean, we know that even in the first six months of, of uh, as the conflict began to escalate and as the Taliban took over more and more territory, about 270,000 people from provincial areas were displaced. So they fled their homes as the Taliban advanced. About 3.5 million Afghans are internally displaced, so they've had to flee their homes because of this conflict. Uh, and there are, there are millions of, of Afghan refugees uh, in countries in the neighbourhood of, of Afghanistan. Yeah. There's about 2 million in Iran and Pakistan alone, for instance. Huge. The UN High Commission for Refugees says there, there are 96,000 Afghans who urgently need resettlement, urgently need international protection, and that number is going to grow. So then we turn to the question that I said that so many Irish people are asking, because I think we do as as a people, we have a, a generosity and, and a real yearning to help and to do what we can to support people when we see people in desperate situations. So what can Irish people do? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's 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 true to say that the vast majority of Irish people, when they see these kinds of crises emerge around the world, want to do something to help, but very often feel very, very powerless. Yeah. I remember when Alan Kurdi, little three-year-old Alan Kurdi's body was watched up on a on a beach in Turkey back in mm. 2015. The outpouring of heartbreak, of anger, of revulsion, of concern, but also of hopelessness. People were phoning us and saying, what can we do? We don't yeah. just want to write a cheque or, you know, take out the credit card. We need to do something tangible. Um and in, in part as a response to that and, and as a response to what we saw as the increasing uh, uh, need for, for more and more resettlement places to be made available for people who were fleeing persecution and conflict, Amnesty and other partners started to look at what were the models that we could look to see, could we grow Ireland's capacity to support more refugees, to grant protection to people who need it. And over the last number of years, we've been working closely with um, really fantastic organisations like NASC, the Irish Refugee Council, the Irish Red Cross, Doris Lumley down in Limerick are now also involved, and a range of others, and the Irish state, the Irish government have been fantastic in developing this programme, to develop a programme called Community Sponsorship for Refugees. And that programme allows local community groups or individuals within a community to form a group and come together and develop a really good, cogent, solid resettlement plan to support a family when they arrive in Ireland, 
um, and when a refugee family are brought to Ireland, rather than go, them going to a, a reception centre, they're met instead in normal times, in pre-COVID yeah. times, by their new best friends, their their sponsorship group, who bring them to the to the home that's been prepared for them. And for the next 18 months, they are the people who wrap themselves around this family, help them to settle in to their new area, to build a new life in, safe, in, in safety uh, and, and to, to help them, frankly, to recover their lives from the ordeals that they've experienced. It's a phenomenal programme. Yeah. A similar programme has been running in Canada since the 1970s and about 30 million Canadians have been involved over that period in providing these kind of supports. The outcomes for, for refugees are fantastic. Yeah. I have to say the outcomes for communities are fairly extraordinary Oh, too. I can imagine. Um, I can so imagine. It's, a, it's a wonderful programme. It was piloted here in, in 2018, made permanent in 2019 um, and it's it's now up and running really, really well. And it's a, it's a really positive way that people can get involved and not be powerless but recognise that we are incredibly powerful. We, through our individual action, can help somebody escape the kind of persecution that we've just talked about, whether it's in Afghanistan or Syria or in another place, bring them to Ireland and support them in our communities as they rebuild their lives here in safety. So when you say community, what number of people are you talking about? So I live in a small estate. Could it be my small estate or is it an area that you live in? People come from all kinds of groups. You get groups that come from parishes, for instance, and then you find people from around the area getting more involved as well. You find people from within in in workplaces coming together and forming groups or indeed in in towns or in villages. Wherever you have, usually you'll have two, three, four people who say, look, I'd love to do this. What do you think? Or even one who says, how could I go about doing this and starts to talk to people? Generally speaking, groups are about 12 people. Okay. Uh, um, It can be more than that, but about 12 people who come together and then with a lot of support, because the programme is very, very well developed at this stage, with a lot of support and with training, they develop a resettlement plan that sets out all of the practical things that they need to do and all of the things they need to put in place so that when a family arrive here in Ireland, they're well placed to support them and help them to rebuild their lives. And when you think about it, who better to do that within a community than the people people. who live within the community? But where where does the actual housing come from? Is so that's one of the things that the group has to do and that can often be the biggest challenge is they right. have to source housing. So yeah. just just like uh, in any other given situation, they have to go out there and find housing to rent. The rent is covered by housing assistant payments. So the okay. rent is covered. Those resources are provided by the state when people come in as, as, as refugees. But yeah, people have to find housing. And I know there are struggles sometimes within finding housing. There are, those. but it's doable. Yeah. It's, it's very doable. And we've seen groups come up with fantastically creative solutions um, around, around housing. And I mean, the reason why housing matters is because generally in Ireland's resettlement programme, it's families who are brought yes. in. It's not, it's not single people generally. It can be sometimes, but usually it's family groups that are being resettled here. Yeah. So like a room in a house, uh, as generous an offer as that yeah, is, it won't really meet the need of a family. No, and especially because, I mean, geez, we have to, I have to presume everybody's had this conversation at this point, but you're talking about people who are coming from very difficult circumstances yeah. and who probably are dealing with a lot of trauma and who need a bit of privacy and a bit of space to process all of that as a family. Absolutely. But you're also talking about, I think, tremendously resilient people. I mean, this is one of the things yeah. that um, always blows me away when I talk to people who've been involved in the programme. Very often, actually, it's the it's the the group themselves, the sponsor group, who get way more from this experience than they ever imagined. Yeah, uh, it, it really is the most phenomenal thing to be involved in. I mean, what other, how, how, in what other kind of circumstances can you imagine where you get to respond so powerfully? Yeah, 
to a need like this. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, you know, we don't just transform the lives of newcomers, of refugees who come here. We transform ourselves, our own lives and our communities in yeah. really positive, powerful ways. The kind of networks that develop across communities are, are uh, through this are quite extraordinary. I remember one of the first groups that started here in, in Dunshockland in County Meath, you know, a, a woman who wanted to do it got permission from the parish priest to stand up and, and announce that she was doing this in church and she did it. And the first few people who got involved were people who were very active within the within the parish community. Yeah. But very quickly, other people started to hear about it and people who didn't really have any associate, association with the parish or with the church got involved. Mm. And so you ended up with this really strong, really cohesive community group of people who would never have necessarily worked together before yeah. coming together and working together with such purpose and with such commitment and with such humanity that had a huge and transformative impact on that community and actually um, that group are, are quite extraordinary because about not, not quite less than two years after they welcomed the first family here um, they announced that they were now going to get ready to welcome a second family and the family that arrived uh, uh, on the first occasion we're now going to be members of the group and sponsors for another family oh. um, which was just just wonderful in brass tacks what are you talking about commitment wise it's 18 months so it's 18 months and, and what now are you it's, doing it's in those 18, 18 months it's 18 months from arrival okay there's, there's a bit of work to do <laughs> obviously Beforehand, in advance yeah. but there's a lot of support and resources so when, when a group come together the first thing they need to do if they go to the opencommunity.ie if you're interested in this yeah. go to that website the opencommunity.ie and you can find out lots more about community sponsorship and how it works what we'll do is we'll put you in touch with one of the regional support organisations, the, the, the implementing partners, so NASC, the Irish Red Cross, the Irish Refugee Council, our Doris alumni, fabulous organisations who are doing brilliant work. Mm. We'll put you in touch with them and a group. So you'll, you'll either come with some friends who want to do this with yeah. you or some, some colleagues who want to do this with you or groups will be formed on that basis. At that point, then you'll be given training. You'll be walked through the process of how to develop a resettlement plan and you'll develop your resettlement training. plan. Training, brilliant. Because that's what I'm thinking. Uh, absolutely. I'm thinking you need to know what to do and have a bit of confidence in how you approach it, I suppose. There's a lot of support and yeah. a lot of resources that are made available from a training and an, ex a, 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 an expertise perspective to support local groups in doing this. But I wouldn't underestimate the, the power and the resource that our local people when they come together like this. Yeah. Ordinary people coming together to do this are incredibly effective. Yeah. The resources that they bring together are tremendous. You do need to fundraise. You need to raise 10,000 euros. 8,000 euros can be can be in cash and about 2,000 in pledged services. Yeah. But frankly, that's a great way to start pulling a group together. Sure. That money is in case you need to do things like if you need to pay some childcare costs, for instance, if you're going to support one of the families when they're going back to education mm. or if it's around additional English language support or, yeah. or teaching, that kind of stuff. It's to have a pool of resource that's available to you. Should there be things that you want to do over that 18 month period yeah. with the family? But the family, when they arrive, they've got full legal status. So they have the same rights and entitlements as any other legal resident in the state. Wow. So they have access to housing assistance payments. They have access to education and health uh, healthcare and, and all of those work. other services and yes they can work and okay. a big focus is on supporting people to get into employment and that's absolutely by the way what people who arrive here want to do as quickly as they can 100%. so huge amounts of resource and support to assist the local group in doing that and then when the family arrive that's when the really rewarding work starts and if you think about it it's, it's on one level as simple as um, helping people to orient, orientate themselves in the local community. You'll have developed a plan, yeah. helping them to register with the GP, to get the kids into school, to understand how the shops work here. Yeah. Where do you go for groceries? Where yeah. can you get the kind of foods they yeah, might how like to buy and, and need? Yeah. How do you register for this and that and the other? Sure. All, of the, all of those things. So those are the kind of very practical 
uh, day-to-day supports that, that, that a local group can put in place. Well, I'm sold. I think it sounds incredible and I'm so happy to learn that a programme like this exists here. What's the website again? Communitysupport.ie? It's the opencommunity.ie. Open so, sorry. Yeah. Opencommunity.ie. The Opencommunity.ie. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> open, no, I want to get it right. The Opencommunity.ie if you want to go and get some information. And thank you so much, Colm O'Gorman. I really appreciate you coming in and telling us about that. That's Colm O'Gorman, Executive Director of Amnesty International Ireland. Louise McSherry on 2FM.